Good morning. And a belated happy St. Patrick's Day. We had a our St. Patrick's Day celebration here on Thursday night with corned beef and cabbage and a dessert rich enough to break any Lenten fast. <laughs> At our table, though, our conversation turned to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We had all seen the tragic images of the war on the news, and our reactions were like those of the Irish band U2 in their song about Irish terror, Sunday Bloody Sunday, from their album War. I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? How long, how long? Of course, we want to close our eyes and make it go away, but we cannot. Willful ignorance leads to moral blindness. Still, the images are horrible, as President Zelensky showed Congress on Wednesday in his before and after slideshow. Gleaming apartment high-rises become flaming or burned out shells. A father playing with a child in the park and then a father lowering his child's lifeless body into a mass grave. Hospitals and schools and marketplaces reduced to piles of rubble. Thousands and thousands of homeless, traumatized, zombie-like refugees fleeing Ukraine for the safety of the West. After all, God knows we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. And besides, this isn't the first time. The images in the news are shocking, but they are not new. We've seen them before, of Warsaw in 1939, of London in 1940, of Leningrad and Stalingrad. Someone said at dinner Thursday that they had heard that the invasion of Ukraine is really about a fight between Russian Orthodox Christians and breakaway Ukrainian Christians. Maybe that's what the Russian government is telling its citizens, or maybe that's what the Russians are telling themselves. It wouldn't be the first time. As has been said, history is the story of one man telling another man, I'm going to take your house, and God says it's okay. Which is why what happened in a remote pasture beyond the wilderness near Mount Horeb 4,000 years ago 
is so important. It's why this moment became the basis of Israel's faith and the hope of the world. The Bible tells us that Moses was the child of a Hebrew slave who was rescued by his aunt who worked as a slave in the court of Pharaoh. His aunt then arranged for Moses' mother to nurse him and raise him. No doubt she taught him who his people really were, and he developed a passion for justice for the oppressed, which got him into trouble, but also made him uniquely gifted to become the liberator of his people. In Egypt, he had killed an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew slave and fled into the wilderness where he settled in Midian and married a local girl and took a job working for his father-in-law. And so it was that he came to the moment we have heard about today. It's usually called the story of the burning bush. But the Bible emphasis is not on the bush. When Moses says, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up, the Bible says, when the Lord saw that Moses had turned aside to see. God called to him out of the bush. When we turn aside to seek God, God speaks to us from the place where we seek him. What's more important is what God said. First, God called Moses by name, Moses, Moses. Our name stands for us in our uniqueness, our individuality, and our personhood. For God to call Moses by name means that God knows Moses. It's why each of us has a unique and personal relationship with God that is unlike anyone else's relationship with God. But it is the same God who calls each of us. The God who knows us each by name is the same God who called Moses 4,000 years ago. And the God who called Moses is the God who is the God of Abraham Isaac, and Jacob. And so despite the uniqueness of the relationship that each of us has with God, there is a universality in our experience of God which makes our personal experience of God just like everyone else's. And because even though each of us is unique, each of us is also like everyone else, and God is the same. And that means that what God spoke to Moses 
can be meant for us, each of us, and all of us today. And what God said to Moses is this. I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them. God knows. God cares. He hears their cries. He knows their sufferings. And God will act. We are not alone. I will be with you. Moses has a unique and personal calling. He is to go back to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And Israel, too, would have a unique calling. They were to worship God upon this mountain. Israel would worship the Lord as the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And so Israel was to do justice and to love kindness. They were to love their neighbors as themselves, even the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. History may be the story of the contest between those who believe in the power of love and those who love power. It may be true, as Bruce Springsteen sings in his song, Badlands, that poor man want to be rich, rich man want to be king, and a king ain't satisfied till he rules everything. But there is no doubt about whose side God is on. Still, we cry with you too. How long? How long must we sing this song? How long? How long? They asked that in Jesus' day too. The prophet Isaiah had taught that Israel was the vineyard of the Lord and that God looked for the fruit of justice and righteousness from his people. And so, at that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. They must have asked, how long, how long? And so Jesus renewed the parable Isaiah's parable of the vineyard with this update. Let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Speaking at the National Cathedral, less than a week before his death, Martin Luther King Jr. recalled a sermon 
by the abolitionist Theodore Parker a decade before the Civil War. The moral arc of the universe, he said, is long, but it bends toward justice. As Paul assures us in today's epistle, God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but with the testing will provide also the way out so that you may be able to endure it. So, since we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves, let us pray for God to defend us from adversities which may happen to the body. As one young Ukrainian refugee said, cherish clear skies. But let us also pray that we may not sink into despair or become callous or indifferent to suffering or fearful or revengeful or succumb to any other evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. For God has observed the misery of his people. He has seen their suffering He has heard their cries. He is not indifferent. He will come down. He will deliver. He will bring them up as he promised today, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.